Thank you for tuning in to Emmanuel Faith Community Church. We hope you enjoy today's sermon. Well, hi, church family. Uh, if we haven't met, my name is Ryan. I'm one of the pastors here, and it's just a joy to have you with us. If you're joining us online, a special welcome to you as well. Um, how many of your hearts are still pretty full from last Sunday and the outreach conference? And yeah, one person's clapping. Praise God. I'm with you. I'm just so grateful for our outreach team and all the different ways that God is moving around the world. I hope that you were encouraged and that you're still asking that question, how can my life be used in his story for his glory and the fame of his name? Amen? This might be hard for some of you to believe, but there was a time when telephones were attached to the wall. They had a cord that ran from them to the wall and they were the very thing that made it possible to talk on the phone. And, and this may be equally as hard to believe. There was a time when people talked on the phone. There was a time where that was the only thing you did on a phone was talk on it. There was a time where, gentlemen, if you had to ask a girl out on a date, you had to call their house, and to catch this, there was the possibility that their dad might answer said phone, and you would have to talk to him about going out with his daughter. Oh, for the good old days. Can I get an amen? Just a few weeks ago, my cell phone carrier texted me and said, Ryan, you're long overdue for an upgrade and we've got a great deal for you. And so I'm the proud new owner of an iPhone 14. And I don't mean to brag, but on this phone, I can text message. I can take pictures. In fact, if I wanted to, I could take a picture of all of us together, take a selfie. I could, I can read books on this phone. I could read the Bible on this phone. Um, I can make movies and watch movies on this phone. I can get directions on this phone. I can look up my bank account information on this phone. I can invest from this phone. I can check my social media from this phone. I can delete you from my social media on this phone. I can shop on this phone. I can update my calendar from this phone. I can book travel on my phone. And if I really, really, really want to, I could even talk on this phone. <laughs> now, let me ask you a question. Are um, this landline and this phone both phones? Yeah, they are. Are they different? Wildly so. Wildly so. And I want you to have that picture in your mind as we jump into 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Because Paul is going to talk about something that's, that's similar in the fact that, well, they're both phones, but they're wildly different as he continues his discussion with the Corinthian church about resurrection. This word, anastasis, it's on the front of your worship guide, um, means resurrection in Greek. And indeed, 1 Corinthians 15 is all about resurrection. The church was asking questions about what was to come. And in 1 Corinthians 15, we have the longest exposition in scripture about what life after death will be like. A few weeks ago, we talked about what followers of Jesus could expect. And that is that at resurrection, we would have a body like Jesus's resurrected body, that he's the first fruits, the prototype 
of what we will one day be and become. And we were reminded because he's the first fruits that in the scriptures, resurrection always means a physical body, not a spiritual body. And the second question we addressed in that message was, when can followers of Jesus expect this resurrection? Because it certainly seems like people that die stay dead. Have you ever noticed that? That the the graveyards are, are fairly safe places in the sense that nobody's walking out of the grave these days. And so people were asking Paul, when can we expect resurrection? And Paul said, well, when Jesus returns, you can expect the resurrection. So just because it hasn't happened yet doesn't mean that you missed the boat or you missed out, okay? And so now Paul's gonna address two other questions and we pick up the conversation in verse 35. Are you there? First Corinthians chapter 15, starting in verse 35, here's what he wrote. He said, but some will ask... How are the dead raised? And then the second question is, what kind of body do they come? Those are great questions, aren't they? In fact, many of you have come up to me after services over the last few weeks and said, well, Ryan, what kind of body will we have? Like some of you have asked questions like, will we be able to recognize people in the resurrected bodies? Uh, Somebody asked me right after uh, last service, like what if someone has has died as a child and will they be resurrected as a child? And will we be able to recognize them if they're not? Great question. Will others know us? Will I look like myself? And if so, is there any chance for me to put in like some requests for some upgrades, right? (laughs) Could I be a little bit taller? Could I have a girl look good who would call it, right? Like, can can I put in a request? for the new resurrected body. But Paul wants to answer the question, how, how does resurrection happen? And here's what he says. You foolish person, don't take offense to that. Okay, if you ask a question, don't just, what you sow does not come to life, what? Unless it dies, unless it dies. And what you sow is not the body that it is to be, but a bare kernel perhaps of wheat or of some other kind of grain. So what you sow, and Paul starts to paint this picture, this metaphor that he wants us to hold on to as we explore this concept that is a bit ethereal and a bit mysterious of resurrection. He wants us to have something that we can look at to go, it's kind of like that. And he uses the illustration of a seed, a seed. Now, um, many of you got a sunflower seed when you came in this morning. Would you just hold it in your hand? Because Paul wants us to have in mind this picture. Because in God's created world, we see reflections and echoes of resurrection all around us. He he wants to correct though, in using this illustration of a seed, two misconceptions about resurrection, okay? Here's the first, here's the first misconception. And it's that the resurrection body will be identical to the one that was buried. He goes, no, 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 is a seed identical to the flower that comes from it? No, they're, they're, they're very different, aren't they? But the second misconception he wants to address is that they will be completely distinct and completely different. Is the flower that comes from the seed a reflection of what is in the seed? Yes, yes, it absolutely is. And so his point is that when you look at flowers, and you look at trees, and you look at a field of wheat, you are seeing a picture of resurrection. Because something died, and it was put into the ground, and it has come out in a new and more glorious form. 
As Martin Luther said, our Lord has written the promise of resurrection, not only in books alone, but in every leaf in springtime. What a beautiful picture. See, see, the seed is dead, but it's not done. Somebody say amen. It goes into the ground dead, but it is not done. And because of the resurrection of Jesus, the same is true of everyone who has hope and faith in him. But the painful part of resurrection is that the first step in resurrection is death, is death. But as that great song, Christ Be Magnified, uh, puts it for us, that death is just a doorway into resurrection life. And you know, not only do we see this principle at work in nature, we also see this principle at work in relationships all around us. See, I think we intrinsically know that resurrection is a reality. Jesus would put it like this. He would say, truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it what? Bears much fruit. And Paul would echo that that's true in the resurrection, that Jesus's death and subsequent life bore much fruit. I mean, look at us, right? But Jesus went on to say, whoever loves his life loses it. And whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Here's his point. You want to experience life abundant today? Die. You want your marriage to flourish? You've got to die to yourself. You want the relationships around you to be all that God designed them to be? Die, because it's in losing your life that you actually find life abundantly. See, in the same way that a seed goes into into the ground dead and then is raised in glory and beauty and majesty, so too are our lives today and on that great day of resurrection. See, a seed has everything, almost everything, that it needs to become a plant, neatly tucked inside of it. The only thing that it needs is the right conditions and water to begin and trigger that germination process. And what Paul's saying is the same is true of our bodies. That's the way, the how of resurrection. That's how it works. But here's his other point, is that it goes into the ground in one form. And I think we would all agree that that form is not quite as glorious as the form that it comes out in. That true? Right? There's a bit of an upgrade that goes on, right? And he is saying the exact same thing is true of our resurrected bodies. It grows, goes in a bare kernel, as it were, and it is reborn in beauty and majesty. And I think we could put it like this, that resurrection is a new creation, but it's not a new identity that there's discontinuity and continuity. Your body will be different, but it will still be you. It'll be a renewed you. That's why Dallas Willard once quipped and said, the most important thing about you are not the things that you achieve, but it's the person that you become. Because the person that you become is the very thing that you will carry into eternity. And so just like a landline and an iPhone 14 are both phones, so too 
will your body be at resurrection? It'll still be a body. It'll just be wildly different. It will be the best version of you possible. Now, I think we need some some help in understanding what that means and what that looks like and some qualifications and all sorts of questions that pop up in my mind and maybe yours too. And Paul anticipates some of those. So listen to the way he continues, verse 38. He says, but God gives it a body as he has chosen and to each kind of seed, its own body. So I think he's saying like there's differentiation in nature And there will be that same kind of differentiation at resurrection. We will have similarities as people and as human beings, but we will also have our distinctives. Even in our resurrected bodies, we will not all be robots and we will not all be the exact same. He goes on and he says, For not all flesh is the same, but there is one kind for humans and another kind for animals, another for birds and another for for fish, time out. Now, Paul is making um, a comparison between the fact that you've recognized that your body is very different than a fish, right? And the fish's body is designed perfectly to live in the water. Yours, not so much. So, but I don't think it's too much of a stretch to say that even at resurrection and new creation, there will probably be animals and birds and fish and hopefully dogs, right? (laughs) There are heavenly bodies and earthly bodies, but the goal of the heavenly is of one kind and the goal of the earthly is of another. Now, some of you are probably going, hey, Ryan, I thought you said that the resurrection body was always a physical body. What do we do with this? Because he's saying it's a heavenly body. Well, keep reading because he explains what he means. Here's what he said, verse 41. There is one glory of the sun. That's the heavenly bodies talking about. Another glory of the moon. The heavenly bodies are the bodies that you see in the sky, the planets, the sun, the moon, the stars. Another glory of the stars for the stars differ from star in glory. Here's the point that Paul is making. That all throughout creation, God has adorned his creation with the kind of body it needs to exist and flourish in the environment that he's put in. And he's saying the exact same thing will be true of your resurrected body. It will be perfectly designed to live in and to experience in all of its goodness, the new creation that God brings about when he returns. Now, Paul's going to expand that idea because my guess is you go, okay, well, that That helps, but it doesn't answer all the questions that I have. Anybody with me? I I think we would want him to explain a little bit more. What are those bodies going to be like? Ah, great question. So glad you asked that. Verse 42. Here's what Paul wrote. He said, and so it is with the resurrection of the dead. So he's going, in the same way that God has created these heavenly bodies to live in the heavens, so too will he create your resurrected body. What is sown, what? Perishable will be raised, what? Imperishable. 
So there's that terminology once again of sowing and planting and reaping. It's a key image and metaphor for understanding the resurrection. As you read through the whole passage, you'll see that Paul is making this point about perishable and imperishable over and over again. In fact, he makes it four times in this passage alone. I think it's the main thing he wants us to grasp. That certainly our bodies go into the grave and they are buried perishable, but they are raised with a new immortality, a new immortality. um, Whenever I read that word perishable, I picture something that we put into our fridge that says perishable, keep refrigerated, right? Has anybody ever had something in their fridge that was perishable go bad? How many of you have had the time where you could tell instantly when you opened the door, something has gone bad, right? Um, I I have the worst time actually finding what's gone bad. I open the door, I'm like, it's in here. But my wife opens the door and she's like, it's onions. Like, boom, gets them out of there immediately, right? Uh, um, So we get the picture of something that was in one form and it existed and it was good, but then it started to perish. It started to go bad. And Paul would say, our bodies are like that. Anybody have a few aches and pains that remind them that their body is in the process of going bad? Did you know that your bot? did somebody say something? (laughs) Did you know that your body peaks at the age of 30? 30, right? So for some of you, you're like, I am right there. Yeah. And for some of us, we're going, that was back there, right? Yeah. And you can eat as much kale as you want, which I assume isn't all that much if it's really what you want, but um, eat as much kale as you want. And it's not going to reverse that. Your body is eventually still going to wear out and give out. And apart from Jesus, that's the trajectory that carries us all the way into eternity. In verse 17, Paul has already said that if we die in our sins, we perish. He's using that same word. But Paul would write to Timothy and he would say in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 10, that our savior Christ Jesus, who abolished death, that is a beautiful picture, isn't it? He wiped it out and brought us new life and what? Immortality to light through the gospel. What a beautiful picture. Apart from him, we are painfully mortal. But praise Jesus for the gospel. Because through the gospel, we are reminded Jesus is king, sin is forgiven, and death is what? Defeated. Death is overcome. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. This is the great hope of resurrection for those who follow Jesus. Imperishable, immortal bodies. That means no more broken bones. Praise God. That means uh, no more cancer diagnoses. Praise God. That means no more burying people that we love. Praise God. That means that the old order of things will one day fully and completely pass away. And all signs of pain and sickness and decay and aging 
all of the signs of decay will be done forever. Somebody say praise God. Here's a second way. Here's a second way. Paul says the resurrected body is a new creation. It's, it's different. It's you, but it's new. Verse 43. It is sown in what? Dishonor and it is raised in glory. So some ask the question, will people be raised at the same age or, or, or in the same form as they went into the ground? And Paul's answer is no. That oftentimes people are, are, are buried in dishonor. I mean, if you've ever held somebody's hand as they breathe their last breath, if you've ever walked with somebody through terminal illness, right? You know that they're not gonna be signing up to be raised in the same form that they went into the ground in. And Jesus is, Paul is saying, no, 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 no. They are raised in dishonor. They go into the ground as a seed, but they're raised in honor. They're raised in glory. I love this picture of glory because um, in, the, in the Greek, it's this beautiful word. It, it means weighty. It means splendor. It means majesty. That we go into the ground broken and we come out at resurrection whole. That there's not only a new immortality, but there's a new beauty. I want you to remember, friends, that in God's original design, his original creation, he says that humanity is crowned with glory and honor. And when I say beauty, though, I don't just mean physical beauty. Because we all know that some of the most beautiful people we've ever met were not all that physically attractive. And yet, they were beautiful. They were, they were glorious. Now remember, 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 sin causes us to fall short of the glory of God. And so if we're raised in glory, we must also be raised free from sin. And that makes sense because we will not at new creation experience death anymore, but we will also be able to experience life for all that it was always designed to be. You will be raised in beauty and splendor. And that means that what Paul wrote in Romans chapter eight, verse 29 is finally complete. For those who he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed into the image of his son in order that we might be the firstborn among many brothers. What a beautiful picture. At resurrection, the process of being conformed into the image of Christ will be completed. We will look like him and be like, look like him, not, not physically, but, but in our character in every way. And we'll be beautiful, glorious creations. You'll look like you, but you'll look like the best version of you possible. Uh, would you turn to the person next to you and say, you haven't seen the best of me yet. You have not seen the best of me yet. Come on, come on. <laughs> oh, I love it. Next thing Paul says, what is sown in what? Say it with me. Weakness is raised in power. 
And I'm not sure, I mean, all of these are a bit mysterious, and I'm not sure all that Paul means by this, other than the fact that there are ways that we are unable to engage God's good creation now, that upon resurrection, we will have the power or strength to be able to engage with. So we have a new immortality, a new beauty, and Paul says, a new strength. The scriptures say that God created this world for us to enjoy. For us to drink it in and go, oh my goodness, God is so good. And so what if at resurrection, our bodies are actually more capable than they are now to enjoy the work of our creator's hands? See, I often think that we we imagine resurrection as a doling of our humanity and sort of a graduation of humanity into something different. And what I want to say to you is, no. No, resurrection will be a restoration of our humanity, the fullness of our humanity on display, not something lesser than. So what if, what if unbound from sin, there are people at the resurrection who are able to create music that's so beautiful that it just takes your breath away and makes you weep. How many of you have had that type of an experience Right. In a redeemed, resurrected body, why wouldn't we expect all the more of that? What if you're able to stand on top of a mountain and really take in all that God has created? What if you're able to catch a wave? And you know that euphoric feeling of the water just crashing down around you. And some of us will actually be able to surf at resurrection. (laughs) What if, what if you're able to sit down at a meal and your resurrected taste buds, unaffected by COVID dullness, right, are able to partake of the good creation that God has given in a new and pun intended fresh way, right? What if you're able to sit at a table with good friends, have a great conversation, and experience a phenomenal meal. I mean, friends, uh, heaven is depicted as a resurrection supper of the lamb in Revelation chapter 19. Um, what if, what if you are able to eat really, really good food and not put on weight? Come on, resurrection. Come on. Or, or what if, what if, this is even better. What if you're able to eat really, really healthy food and it actually tastes good? Oh, for that day, right? Oh, for that. Uh, what if, what if we have a new strength, a new strength, not just to, to experience music and creation and food, but what if, what if our new strength actually allows us to experience relationships in the way that God had always designed relationships to work, not broken with the poison of sin, but actually getting to commune with other people? What if that rolls into our relationship with God, a new strength to experience relationship with God? What if the prayer Paul prayed for the church in Ephesians chapter three is actually fulfilled at new creation. This is what he prayed. His prayer was that according to the riches of glory, that God might grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. Strengthened with power in your inner being. Why? So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength 
to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. What if at resurrection you have the strength to comprehend the fullness of the love of Christ? And what if, what if on that day, you just go, Lord, I, I got glimpses of it and shadows of it while I walked this earth. But now, but, but now, now, now I get it. Now I get it. Oh. One more couplet that Paul points out for us. He says, it is sown a what? Natural body and it is raised a spiritual body. If there's a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. I hope you're thinking back to one of the first slides I put up where I said, resurrection always means a physical body, not a spiritual or ghostly or immaterial body. And I hope you're thinking, Ryan, did you read to the end of the chapter before you made that slide? And if so, what are you thinking? How can that be true? Great question. Let's keep reading because Paul's gonna answer that question. Here's what he says. He says, thus it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. Now, who is the last Adam? Jesus, right? If, if you're ever asked a question in church and you don't know the answer, just say Jesus and most of the time you'll be right. In this, in this case, you are right, right? So he says that, that the last Adam or Jesus became a life-giving spirit. Now, the scriptures also say that he became flesh and made his dwelling among us. Is this ringing any bells for people? So what Paul means by he became a life-giving spirit or he, became, he is a spiritual body cannot mean that he does not have flesh because we know very clearly that Jesus did. Keep reading, verse 46. But it is not the spiritual that is first, but the natural. And then the spiritual. The first man was from earth, a man of dust. The second man is from heaven. Now we know that Jesus, although from heaven, was also born of a woman, right? So again, this doesn't mean that Jesus was something other than fully human. He had flesh and bone. Verse 48. As was the man of dust, so are those who are of dust. He's echoing back to this idea that we're perishable, mortal, dying of dust. So also are those who are of dust and is... And as is the man of heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. Meaning that we are eternal, immortal beings in him. Verse 49, just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we also shall bear the image of the man of heaven. Okay, so throughout this whole section, Paul is using these terms, natural and spiritual, not to address the kind of bodies that we have, but to address the very thing that controls our bodies, the kind of nature that we have. 
We could say it like this right now. Right now we have a fleshly nature, which is to say we have a sinful nature. However, at resurrection, we will have a spiritual nature, which is to say a nature and person that is completely in submission to, surrender to, and controlled by the spirit of God. See, at resurrection, new creation, we'll have a new immortality, new beauty, new strength, and a new nature. That means that we will get to experience pleasure and joy in the way that God intended us to experience it, but the enemy will not be able to twist it and devolve it into sin and demise. Somebody say, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord that the spiritual body will never again have the desire to fulfill the insatiable desires of the flesh because we will be under a new control. (laughs) Yeah, the resurrection body, at resurrection, we will be able to faithfully bear his image and his likeness and we will experience all the joy that comes along with so doing. And Paul goes on, and there's one last question that he wants to turn his attention to. Because I think he sees where the Corinthian church might be thinking, and so he wants to cut him off at the pass. Here's what he said, verse 50. I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Now, before you go, hey, Paulson, once again, he's saying flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom. That means we're not gonna have physical bodies. I just wanna remind you that in Luke 24, verse 39, Jesus said to his disciples, see my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Like if you look close, you can see it's really him. Touch me, he says, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. When Paul says that flesh and blood does not inherit the kingdom of God, he's saying you cannot step in to the renewed heaven and renewed earth in these same bodies that you have right now. God has got to do a transformative work to take you from seed to flower before you walk with him in new creation. Okay, so people in Corinth must have realized that And Paul assumes that they start asking this question. If we have to die in order to experience new creation, then we should probably kill ourselves now. (laughs) Just in case Jesus comes back and we're still living when he does. Because what would happen if we didn't become that seed that's put into the ground and he returns and we're caught going, "Uh uh-oh. And Paul goes, okay, in order to stave off a mass suicide, he writes the next verse. Here's what he says. He says, behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, which is a euphemism for die, but we shall all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, he says, okay, there's two things that happen simultaneously when Jesus returns. Number one, the dead are raised. Number two, those who have not died are changed. You don't need to die in order to be transformed when Jesus comes back. If you are a follower of Jesus and you're alive when he returns, you're gonna be just fine. Verse 52, in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet, he's just giving us the timeline. 
for when that happens. For the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we, those who are alive, shall be changed. Listen to the way that John would echo the exact same thing in 1 John chapter 3, verse 2. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. Oh, what a great line. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him. Well, because he's the first fruits, right? That our body will be like his body because we shall see him as he is. Yes, and amen. He goes, listen, if you're alive when Christ returns, you're gonna be just fine because he will raise the dead and he will transform the living. Verse 53, for this perishable body must, be, must put on the imperishable. This mortal body must put on immortality. Do you see this theme? I mean, he's just pounding it over and over again. 54, when the perishable puts on the imperishable and the immortal puts on immortality, then it shall come to pass. So when Christ returns, when the dead are resurrected, when the living are transformed, then it will come to pass. And he's gonna quote Isaiah 25, verse eight. Death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where's your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? He's quoting Hosea chapter 13, verse 14 there. But essentially, Paul ends this section of talking about resurrection by taunting death. Going, death, is that the best that you got? Because actually, death is just a doorway into resurrection life. And that one day, we will experience not only new bodies, but a new immortality, a new beauty, a new strength, a new nature. And one day death will be no more. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord. And I love this, that even though this is a future event, Paul is so convinced of its reality that he puts it in the, in the present tense. Death, where is where is your victory? Where is your sting? Like right now, we are so sure of that day that we can live confidently in the victory of Jesus. I don't have actual footage of what that day will be like. But in the 14th century, there was this uh, Byzantine icon that was created and it's entitled Anastasis. And it's a, just an artistic depiction of the victory that Jesus claimed over death. And in his right hand, you see him pulling Adam out of the grave. And in his left hand, you see him pulling Eve out of the grave as if to say, no more. The old order of things has gone. If you look at his feet, he is destroying the gates of death and Hades and hell, as if to say, no more. God's victory is fully, finally, and completely realized. Where, oh, death is your victory. Where, oh, death is your sting. This will happen someday, but we live in the reality of it today, today. And so Paul will go on and he's gonna write and say, verse 56, the sting of death is sin. And the power of sin is the law. Remember, we've talked about this. Remember, sin is the deadly poison that has led to death. That's why Christ died for sins. Christ died for sins, verse three. 
Death is not the result of normal decay. It is the result of poison and sin that's ruining God's good creation. Verse 57, but thanks be to God. Thanks be to God who gives us victory, victory over sin and death and evil through Jesus Christ, our Lord. What a beautiful, beautiful picture. And then Paul ends this whole section of resurrection by saying, therefore, so in light of all these things that we've talked about, therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord and knowing that your work in the Lord is never in vain. So what's the thing that keeps us going, you guys? When it feels like the world is pressing in around us, when it feels like everything is against us, when it feels like our culture is going one direction and the church is just getting snuffed out, what is the very thing that keeps us going? It's resurrection. What's the thing that keeps us going when, when, when sickness and cancer and brokenness enter into our world? What's the thing that keeps us going? It's resurrection. It's resurrection. It's the reality that Jesus has conquered sin, death, and evil. He has been victorious. And the reality of resurrection gives us new perseverance and new purpose in this life right now, today. And I want you to hear this. That resurrection is not like an, an appendix to the Christian faith. It's not um, like all these great things. And then, oh, by the way, we're gonna be resurrected and we're gonna live forever. It's a distinct part of the story that God is telling. It's at the very crux. It's at the very center point. It's the fulcrum of everything that we believe that one day God will get the final word. One day he will turn the world to rights. One day death will be no more. And we get to live today in light of that reality. And I don't know, I don't know what in your life right now feels dead. I don't know what in your life feels like, well, gosh, it's just a kernel. It's just a seed. And, and, and I don't see anything good that can come out of that. I want you to know and I want you to hear that even right now, God is a God who makes all things new. Resurrection isn't something only that will happen. It's something that happens. And so maybe there's some things you're holding on to and Jesus is saying, would you die to those things so that I can bring about something new? Maybe there's some of you that like me have buried people who you love and you're going, God, I just need a little bit of hope today. Gosh, I, as I was preparing this message, I, I just couldn't help but think what my mom will look like, a new immortality, a new beauty, a new strength a new nature. And I'm guessing that there are people in your life that God brings to mind as we think about that too. Friends, that day is coming. And the promise that we have is that even in the midst of the pain, God is able to birth something new. So let's ask him to do that in our life today. And let's ask him to give us a renewed confidence for that day when he calls our name and we rise. Let's pray. So Lord, 
we would come before you in, in humility as cracked earthen vessels, realizing and believing that one day you're gonna renew all of this brokenness. One day, these aches and pains will be gone. One day, we won't need doctors anymore. One day, our faith will be sight. And Lord, there's so much pain and there's so much brokenness. There's so much is messed up in our world. And we're so grateful that you're a God of justice and a God who makes all things new. We have confidence that you're gonna do that in us, with us, that we'll be a new creation, not a new identity, but a new creation in you. And that one day you will reign supreme without any competition and that we will experience the joy of full submission to you. Oh, for that day. Oh, for that day. Would you stir our hearts with hope today, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to our service. We'd love to have you join us in person. For more information about our church and service times, please visit efcc.org. If you would like to support the ministries of Emmanuel Faith, you can do so at efcc.org give.